the title of my message is to hunger and thirst for, for righteousness. Um, just want to say thank you for all of you that were praying for us when we were out in Uganda as a team. We had a fantastic time. The team uh, were a real blessing to two schools uh, and to two churches that associated to those schools. I had heartfelt thanks from many people that were... Um, Help their two leaders in particular to what the team did. But the team themselves were blessed as they realized that the, the truth of what Jesus says is better to give than receive. And also they got the privilege of meeting some wonderful people that I work with into the Horn of Africa and uh, also another leader called, called Pastor Richard who leads the church in, in South Sudan alongside James Lacuda. Uh, and you don't meet people like that who have made such sacrifices for God without it having a deep impact on your own life. But more of that later, as uh, the frugal lunch will share more about the, the trip while we're over there. But whilst we're thinking about the nations, it would be good just if you could pray with me while I'll lead you in a prayer, and you could amen my prayer. Some of the people that we work with in um, the Horn of Africa, one of the leaders there last week was killed for his faith, um, and so it'd be good to stand with the church there. And also Brother Norick, who leads a church in Baghdad, uh, emailed me last week to uh, say that the security situation there is so bad at the moment, and uh, believers in particular are being targeted and, uh, and persecuted by militants and that sort of thing. So can we pray, remembering Jesus' words that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you are God, that you're in control. Lord God, we thank you that we know we can look to you, Lord God. And Lord, I just pray for our brothers and sisters in the Horn of Africa, Lord God, who are, who are being persecuted for their faith in you, Lord Jesus. I pray for the church and the family, Lord God, that are grieving the loss of uh, this man, Lord God. I just pray that you would be close to them, that they would know your wonderful presence with them, Lord God. They would know your Holy Spirit there, that you would give them great boldness, Lord God. And Lord, I pray what the the devil has used for evil, Lord God, you would turn it to good, and many people will be saved, Lord God, and many people set free by the power of your name, we pray. And we pray for uh, Norik and the church in Baghdad, Lord God, we just pray your, your protection over your people, Lord God, we pray for the security situation in that city to, to calm down, Lord God, and we just pray that your church there would flourish. We thank you for all the work they're doing with the orphans, and we just pray, Lord God, you'll continue to cause your good news to go out in that city and in that nation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to be looking at verses 21 to 48, but I'm actually going to read from verse 17 and up to 6, verse 1, just to put a bit of context around what, what Jesus addresses. So it says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, 
Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lease your accuser, hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman lustful, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of a great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from, the ev comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And today I want to look at two things with you. Firstly, the problem of sin. And secondly, the power of the gospel. So firstly, the problem of sin itself. One of the things that I always have in the back of my mind when we're in Uganda is that despite prophylactic treatment, people may get malaria. There are lots of things there with the sunshine and long bumpy journeys, very long bumpy journeys as I'm sure you'll hear later, that that can give you a headache, that can make you feel a bit sensitive to the light, may even give you uh, a, a fever and feeling sick. But when people get these signs, I always keep a close eye on them to see if it develops further. Usually with a good night's sleep, they're, they're fine. But sometimes, actually, it can develop into, into malaria. And myself, I'm always personally quite quick to get people tested and get people treated because these outward signs of a fever, of a headache, of sickness, of... My beatboxing of being photosensitive can be a, a sign that somebody has got malaria, that they've got a problem that's not these symptoms, but is the problem that is in the blood itself, which left untreated can actually end up killing a person in a few days. And as we, look at these, as we look at these words of Jesus today, we hear his Sermon on the Mount, where he is addressing these six areas where the Pharisees were teaching, um, were, 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 were misteaching the law, in fact. And that's why he says, you have heard it said, not it is written, because he was addressing the traditions that the Pharisees uh, were mis, uh, misinterpreting of the law uh, of Moses. But as Jesus addresses this, he's actually addressing a deeper problem. And that is the problem of sin itself. These sins that he highlights were just symptoms of a deeper problem that we all have. Actually, the Bible tells us we inherit this from our parents going all the way back to Adam. And it's the problem of sin that dwells within us. The Bible says we are born naturally as objects of God's wrath. Sin, according to the Bible, is what ultimately leads to our death and what ultimately means that we will be separated from God for all eternity if we don't turn to Jesus to be saved. The Apostle Paul tells us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this passage says this, 
that sin is not merely a matter of actions and deeds. It is something within the heart that leads to actions. Sin has corrupted us, you see, right down to the core of our being. So when we come up against God's righteous law, actually, naturally, because of sin within us, we want to reject it. We want to rebel against it. The Apostle Paul tells us that sin produces death in us through what is good in Romans chapter 7. He tells us there that we are slaves to sin and that sin dwells in our body. You see, our society, the media around us, the movies that we see, uh, has this notion, which is a wrong notion, that, you know, oh, you should be true to your heart. Trust your heart. Your heart will guide you right. Like your heart is something that's pure and totally noble. That isn't a biblical view. The Bible says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's not a very good view of us. It doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. We could, we could, all of us have choices that we uh, sometimes choose to be better and sometimes choose to be, to, to be worse. But what it means is everything that we do is tainted by the evil of sin when we do it in our own efforts. And it's therefore not acceptable to God himself. It's what the theologians would say or would call total depravity. Jesus says this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That is what defiles a person. And they come out of a person's heart. He's addressing the same sins as he is in this passage, but in a different context. And he makes clear that they spring up from within a person. The prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So whilst your heart is capable of great kindness and noble things and good things, actually, in your heart, there is every type of depravity, and every type of rebellion there waiting to get out. So you do actually have to be careful. As the Apostle Paul warns us in in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Therefore, let everyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Following your heart's desires, being true to your heart, can actually lead you to being just as much a slave of sin as every body else. And that's partly why society is, is spiraling into the chaos that it is, because it's assuming, oh no, the heart's noble, it will guide me on the right path. That's not true. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You want to know the way to life? Then you look to Jesus. You want to know the truth in life? then you listen to Jesus. You want to experience fullness of life? Then follow 
Jesus. Jesus is God's solution to our problem of sin. When we look to him and we put our faith in him and we thank him for choosing to die on the cross for us, where he took the God's punishment against our sins on himself, he makes us righteous. He makes us acceptable to God. He is the one that can deal with that problem that is deep down, that problem that is much deeper than just the symptoms of sin that we see expressed from time to time. And you see, just like with Plasmodium falciparum malaria, if I said that right, Chick, yes, without, you cannot beat it by yourself. You need outside help. You need the drugs, otherwise you will die from it. Likewise, with sin, you cannot beat it by yourself. You need Jesus. He is the only one who can help you, set you free from your sin. And he doesn't just start with dealing with one sin at a time. He gives you a new heart, a heart that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. He, he is the one that doesn't just tinker with your sinful nature. He crucifies it on the cross. And he gives you the mind of Christ. You want to get right with God? You want to experience God at work in your life? You want to see victory over sin in your life? Then look to Jesus and he will save you and restore you. He gives you his Holy Spirit to help you, who lives inside of you. And he helps put to death the sinful nature and will cause you to want to be righteous, to live to please God. My friends, Jesus has the best for you. And that's why I read the preceding verses and the uh, verse at the end, you see, because Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees were fanatical about trying to please God in their own efforts, in their own way. No one tried as hard as the Pharisees to be right before God. And so people have thought, oh my goodness, how, how is that possible? And then he finishes by saying, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people, as if they're the ones that, that matter. You will have no reward with your Father in heaven. You see, he is talking about, in, in this passage, a righteousness that flows from your heart. A righteousness that only the gospel has the power to produce in your life and in my life. And only the gospel has the power to maintain in your life. Sometimes we just think, of, oh, yeah, it's a decision I made many years ago. No, no, no we, we never progress past the gospel. We never progress past the cross. We always need it. We always need Jesus and his power in our lives. He's the one that gives us fresh forgiveness and fresh power when we make mistakes day after day, which we all do. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, before I move on to look at the power of the gospel, let's, let's just pray a prayer. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus and you, you say, yeah, actually, I want to know him as my savior. I want him to deal with the sin that I know is within my life. 
then pray this along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all my sin and put your Holy Spirit inside of me. Make me new and help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. 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 If you've prayed that, please come and talk to me afterwards. I would love to share with you more about what God wants to do in your life and what God has for you. But it's time to, to move on now and look at these six areas that Jesus addresses and shows us how we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness in these areas. So, verses 21 to 26. Jesus shows us that the command not to murder is actually highlighting a sin that starts with us having anger and contempt towards those around us. That anger and contempt can lead us to being unkind to somebody and calling them a fool or an idiot or something like that. It can lead to us mistreating them. And ultimately, and in its worst form, it can lead to murder and the killing and taking of somebody's life. My friends, and Jesus is clear here, we're to deal with it The moment it comes into our hearts, even before it develops into into something, a physical action, we deal with it in our hearts. If we've done something, as we heard in the testimony from Sam earlier, if we've done something that is wrong, someone's got something they can hold against us, we should be quick to go and put it right. In fact, when I met with Sam, I said, no, no, put it right today, Sam. You, you put it right today. Go and see her today, which is, is what, what he did. And he's enjoying the freedom of that. The Bible tells us whether it's something we need to go and confess to somebody else or just to, to, to God when it's stuff that's within our heart. The Bible tells us, confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, thus making us righteous again. As a Christian, we, as Christians, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to put to death anger and contempt within us and allow him to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Actually, the opposite of all the the, the, the sins that the Holy Spirit is wanting to put to death in your life that you see in this passage is the opposite of them, is the fruits of the Spirit, which is why I've put it up there for you to see. If we allow the Holy Spirit to produce the fruits of the Spirit in us, then we won't satisfy or gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, if you allow the Holy Spirit to produce love, and self-control in your life, then you won't allow the sinful nature to reduce another one of God's creation to a mere sex object, as Jesus addresses in verses 27 to 30. You see, the Pharisees had limited adultery to just 
the physical act of adultery. Jesus addresses the heart of sin. He speaks into the heart and says, actually, that's where it starts. He then uses hyperbole to, to show how ruthless we need to be when dealing with sin that is within. You know, sometimes when people get a cancer in a certain part of their body, in order to preserve life, they actually have to remove that part of the body. We as believers, whilst dealing with sin, we never actually physically have to remove part of our body because that wouldn't actually deal with the sin within. As I say, Jesus is using hyperbole here to emphasize how ruthless we need to be in not allowing sin to have room in our hearts and in our minds. John Stott on this says, what he is advocating, what Jesus is advocating, was not mutilation, i.e. chopping bits off the body, but mortification, that is the death of sin. What Jesus was advocating was not mutilation, but mortification. Verses 31 to 32, probably the, the most controversial one that verses I have to address this morning, and actually very painful for those of you that have experienced divorce uh, in your own family, maybe in your own life. So, uh, you know, just, just know God's love in, in that. Know that God is, is here and he wants you to experience his love, even in that difficult situation. However, we need to remember that the Bible is God's word for all time. And it's, it was this that directs how we live as Christians. And if you have a problem with the Bible, it's you that has the problem, not the Bible. Let me say that again. The Bible is God's word for all time. If you have a problem with the Bible, it's you that has the problem. The problem is either in your understanding, your misunderstanding what it's saying, and as you carefully study uh, what it's saying, you realize, oh, I, th I thought it was saying this, but I realize, okay, this is, this is what it's saying. It's a problem with your understanding, or it's a problem with your morality. Your moral compass of right and wrong has got out of sorts with God. And guess what? It's not God who needs to change his moral compass. It's you who needs to get in line with God. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's look at these, these verses. And what's helpful to realize is that the Pharisees in Jesus' day had adopted a teaching that allowed a man to divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever. If she displeased him, if she burnt the dinner, then, well, you know, he could divorce her if he, if he so chose to. Remember also that back then, as is true in many parts of the world today, that a married woman's wealth, protection, and status were tied up with her husband. She could, be, she could lose everything and be left destitute when divorced. And that the Pharisees had adopted this, this distorted view of Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. You see, the law on divorce was there in Deuteronomy to be protective. And actually, Jesus tells us, only used in the case of adultery. In Matthew 
19, verse 8, he goes on to tell us, actually, it was only introduced in the first place because of the hardness of people's hearts. You see, if we're putting to death the sinful nature, if we're allowing the Spirit to produce the fruit, especially love and kindness and patience and faithfulness, then divorce will never even be a thought in your mind. The Bible does give two clear grounds for divorce and one slightly more ambiguous uh, ground for divorce. The, the first one being in this passage for adultery. You also find it in Matthew 19. That's clear grounds for it. Secondly, in 1 Corinthians 7, you find there that Paul tells, tells us that if two believers, uh, sorry, if, a, if, um, if, you get, if you're married and then you suddenly become a believer and then your wife or husband looks at you and says, you know, I just can't stand you anymore since you've become a Christian. I don't want anything to do with you. Paul says, well, that's, that's, that's okay there. But if they do want to stay married to you, then you as a believer have to remain with them. And, you know, you probably want to and would choose to. But uh, that's, that's another area. And the last one, which is slightly more ambiguous, is in Malachi 2, verse 16, which is said, uh, I, mean, I'm, I don't know Hebrew, but I'm told by, by, by scholars that this is one of the most difficult verses in the Old Testament to, to translate. And actually... What many scholars take it to mean is where it says, God hates divorce, but he also equally hates violence within the home, therefore giving the victim a way out if, if the home is abusive, physically abusive in that way. However, you need to understand that all these problems stem from a hardness of heart of not allowing the Spirit to produce a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that changes you into being a faithful and a kind husband or changes you to being a faithful, loving wife to your partner. See, unlike our current culture where you know, you can divorce for any reason. Don't feel the love anymore. Well, then move, move on. Get, get divorced. No, no divorce uh, uh, nofaultdivorce.com. Jesus is clear. For the Christian, divorce is not an option, apart from those reasons that I've just said there. Jesus actually says it most clearly in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. When he's talking about married, marriage, he says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Let not man separate. You see, marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and his people, Ephesians 5 tells us. And Christ is totally faithful to his people, to his bride. And by the grace of God, God's elect will remain true to Christ. And therefore, we are called in our marriages to resemble that wonderful picture. It's the power of a transformed heart that the gospel gives that helps you live as a faithful husband, as a faithful wife. And it's the grace that flows out from the gospel 
that cleanses and heals us when marriages go wrong and marriages fail. The devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And despite what modern society may want to teach on divorce, actually, that is where it leads. Jesus' ways bring life, and life in all its fullness. Be true to him, and he will lead your life on a better path than you ever could. Jesus then moves on from the covenant of marriage to taking oaths generally as as people in verses 33 to 37. And firstly, you need to realize that Jesus isn't forbidding us taking oaths in the court of law. Um, Jesus himself, when he was on trial and the high priest asked him uh, under oath, are you the Christ? He answers the high priest's uh, question only time he does there. But what he is addressing in this passage is our propensity to lie and therefore the need for us to say, no, I swear I'm telling the truth or I swear I'll, I'll keep my, my word. Jesus tells us that actually we will be judged by God for every word that comes out of our mouth. Therefore, as Christians, as far as depends on you, you need to be true to your words and to not take them lightly, but to, to hold on to them. Jesus tells us that when we put our faith in him, he gives us his spirit. That spirit is called the spirit of truth. He's this Holy Spirit in you. He's wanting to guide you into all truth. He's wanting to cause you to speak the truth in love to those around you. That is what the Spirit is wanting to do in your life. And therefore, he tells us just to be truthful people in our speech, to let our yes be yes and our no be no, because when we say something, as far as depends on us, we are true to our words. He then moves on to address the Christian view on retaliation in verses 38 to 42. You see, the Pharisees had justified personal revenge on on, uh, uh, on people that uh, upset you. Jesus rules out personal revenge. By no means is he uh, there not saying we shouldn't use the, the, the legal system and uh, the need for state to enforce justice, because elsewhere in the Bible it makes it very clear the need for the state to keep law and order. But the Apostle Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 12 that he is talking about uh, revenge here. As he says in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. The gospel enables you to overcome evil with good because the evil within your own heart has been overcome by the goodness of Jesus Christ. And all that's happening is there's an overflow of what God has done into your heart to those around you as you overcome evil with good. 
And then the final area that, that Jesus corrects in verses 43 to 48 is this view that, you know, that's, that it's okay to hate some people as long as we love these other people. And actually, it's this passage in particular where the um, uh, scholars and theologians say, um, say it's very obvious that he's addressing the traditions, the Jewish traditions, rather than the law itself, because nowhere in the, in the law does it tell you you're, you're allowed to hate your enemy. But you need to understand that there's this question going on at that time of, who is my neighbor? Now, the most liberal, the most lenient of Jewish teachers would limit your neighbor to just the Jewish people themselves. So it's okay to hate everybody else. That is why, actually in response to another question that was asked of Jesus, who is my neighbor? He picks the most unlikely person, the person that the the nation of Israel at that time hated the most, the Samaritans. He picks them to be the hero in a story that we know as the good Samaritan. He's showing, actually, it's not okay to hate anybody. We need to love even our enemies. These days, I've noticed there's a trend in films and in, in the media as well with, um, with heroes and things like that, that it's okay, as long as they're, if they're good to goodies, that's fine. But with baddies, they can do whatever they like because those baddies, well, they, they deserve what, what's happened to them. In the media, they, they, it's okay to vilify certain people because we're, we're intolerant of intolerance. Is the slogans like that, which is actually self-defeating because you're being intolerant yourself, so uh, you need to be intolerant of yourself. But Jesus doesn't allow us any of these arbitrary measures as Christians. He raises our eyes, and the power of the gospel in your heart should raise your eyes to your heavenly Father, who is perfect. And as sons and daughters of your Father, who is in heaven, we are supposed to be like him. We're supposed to resemble him, just like physically sons and daughters resemble their parents. So too, we are supposed to resemble our Father is, who is in heaven. And since you've received God's love into your heart when you were technically God's enemy, how much more should you show his love, his peace, his joy, his patience, his kindness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control to those around you. You see, these six areas that Jesus addresses are just symptoms of a deeper problem of sin that is within us all. And the only solution to that sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in closing, the gospel has the power to put to death our sinful nature and enable the righteousness of God to flow out of our hearts to those around us. Amen? Amen. Can I invite the band back up here? As I've been speaking and addressing this area of sin and just highlighting some of the the symptoms of of sin that has been uh, uh, that Jesus uh, addresses there I'm just aware that the Holy Spirit would have been at work here and 
as we started this story with a testimony where God was convicting Sam of a sin that he needed to deal with. I believe even as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit would have been challenging people of, yeah, I know there's areas in my life where actually I'm just trying to manage sin. I'm just trying to, I'm just playing with it. I'm, I'm happy of being this righteous and I'm just going to allow this area to roam free in my life. And God is saying he's calling you to be a holy people. He's calling you to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. So if that's you this morning, can I encourage you to come forward to the front up here and to receive prayer and to receive a brother or sister coming alongside you, not to judge you, but to say, yeah, I want to pray with you to help you walk free from this area of sin. I also felt there's another area, just as Sam was sharing, the, the guilt he felt there, I believe some people are walking around carrying guilt in their life. And God wants to set you free from that. Actually, some of it I felt was a, uh, was a false guilt where the enemy is trying to keep you down. You still feel guilty about something and you've said sorry a thousand times for it, but you're still carrying that guilt. I believe God wants to set you free this morning from that. And I believe there's also others here that you just, you're, you're trying your hardest, but there's an area in your life where you just need a brother or sister to come and stand alongside you and, and pray for you and pray that you would have victory in, in that area in your life. So can I invite you to stand? And as the band start to play, if that's you this morning, if there's those areas in your life of false guilt, you say, oh, I'm just so ashamed of this, this area. Actually, it may even be in the whole area of, of divorce as well. You may feel like, oh, I'm just so ashamed of this. And actually, you were the wronged party. You were, you were the one that, um, that was wronged in that. Come and receive prayer for that. If you're here and you're struggling with a sin and you just want to walk free from it, again, you just want a brother or sister to come and pray with you, come forward for that. And for those of you that, as I've been speaking, you know there's that area that you have not been dealing with, that you're just trying to manage it. You're just dabbling in that area of your life. God wants a people that hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in you. So can I encourage you, as we sing this song, let's respond to him. Let's do business with God.